Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, how are you doing on this Wednesday afternoon? We uh, we found the Denver Harris news that everybody was waiting so not patiently for. Yeah, that uh, yeah. that was that was what I spent most of my morning waiting on was the Brian Kelly presser so that we could have the story up and everybody could be ready. And were you surprised? So to, for the background, Denver Harris, former five star out of North Shore, he had run into some stuff in high school where he was suspended for games, which is notable because North Shore, when he was in high school, is competing for state championships yes. at a very high level in Texas. Goes to A and M. Suspended the first game of the season for a violation. I think he missed curfew, missed that Miami game, plays half the season, was a midseason All-American on on three as a freshman. The rest, the second half of the season, he misses. He and a handful of guys uh, were suspended from Texas A&M indefinitely. They never came back. A bunch of them hit the portal. Chris Marshall, one of the other big recruits in that group, went to Ole Miss. He already got the boot from Ole Miss before the season starts. Now Denver Harris, he's been here all spring, been here in the summer. We're nearing the end of fall camp, and he's no longer at practices. He's no longer in the team photo. The speculation is running rampant, and today, Matty B., you were there. The breakdown from Kelly was he's not off the team, but. Yeah, but he has, as Brian Kelly said it, personal matters to get in line basically. And if he does that, he can be back as early as this weekend. And obviously, you know, when, when he says that, you know, we were on a message board, we had 500 replies under, you know, is Brian is uh, 
is Denver Harris suspended uh, in that thread? And so that answer doesn't really quell much, I feel like. But at the end of the day, all we know for certain is that he hasn't been at practice the past, what is it, five, four, five practices, and he wasn't in the team photo. With that being the case, and Brian Kelly just telling us that it's personal matters, it's so hard to really reach and say, all right, well, we know this happened, or we we think this happened. And so if he comes back this weekend, he basically just missed a week of practice, and whether that's for discipline reasons or for personal matters, whatever happened, he then has two weeks to get in order to potentially try to crack a two deep, which is obviously the bigger issue right now is that he's not even running with the twos right now. Ashton Stamps and Terrence Welsh are. So if they get him back, can he or is he able to get into the rotation? But then obviously we don't even know what exactly the matter is that has him sitting out for a week. So, and a week in fall camp is substantial because you only get like four of them. Yeah, and here's the thing, too, to spell it out even further, personal issues or hurdles that he has to overcome are very much disciplinary issues he's got to overcome. We've been allowed, we've been granted practice access by Brian Kelly. I've been on this beat since the early 2000s. We've never gotten to watch a fall camp every day for this long, so you see it all. Matthew, as you noted, he started out on the second team. Talent-wise, he can make the case that he's the most talented corner they have. Yeah. He starts out on second team. Okay, they're dangling the carrot in front of him. It wasn't long before he was on third team. And guys who are on third team are also like walk-ons at times. And when you look at a guy like that being on third team, then you look at he's involved in different things in practices, whether it was a fight and then it bleeds into the locker room or whether it's just seeing his interaction with the coaching staff and Robert Steeples where – He'll chirp back a number of times where you're kind of like, okay, no one else does that. And you're doing that. And that's not a great look for Denver Harris. And people have also pointed to, well, look, he's so used to being a man-to-man guy and LSU plays a lot of zone and it's taken him a minute to get over that hurdle. Well, when you're a really excellent player, they don't put you on third team because you're not understanding the scheme. They leave you on first team and they give you more reps so that you're more quickly able to pick up the scheme. They don't take reps away from you just because, oh, I don't know the scheme right now. So this is well beyond that. I mean, he's not in the team photo. He's not at practice. It's not hard to draw the conclusion that either it's about to be over for Denver Harris or this is the final strike for him. And we haven't played no football yet. Yeah, and so we spent the last two days, I mean, everybody in Baton Rouge, basically everybody in Louisiana spent the last two days saying, all right, is he done? And if he was going to be done, what that meant for the cornerback room. And to me, I've I've said it throughout the summer, I said it during the spring, that I believe Denver Harris was necessary for this defense to reach their ceiling as far as being, you know, because the standard right now for LSU, for this year and moving forward is to compete for championships, right? Denver Harris, I I, I want to make sure everybody understands how good he was out of high school and how good he was in those six games he played at AM. Like this isn't a guy who, like you said, he wasn't on third team because he couldn't play. This is very much because of discipline and so on and so forth. But 
if they lose him and if he's not able to play this year or if he just never fully comes around and gets locked in or whatever it is, I still think that does have an impact on the ceiling of what this cornerback room can be. I, I like Deuce Chestnut. I like, I like Zion Alexander. But we went from having, you know, those two and Denver Harris and J.K. Johnson and LaTerrence Welsh in a cornerback room to now saying, okay, when well, there's, you know, J.K. Johnson's hurt for an extended amount of time. And then Denver Harris, we don't know. It gets thin real fast at cornerback. And as much as I love Ashton Stamps, like, that's asking a lot. So Denver Harris, ultimately, as much as whether LSU fans like it or not, I think there's still a a hope that Brian Kelly and the staff has that he can figure it out because he's far too talented to just let slip through your fingers and not try to do anything about it. So you're like you said, I think this is the last straw at this point. And if it works out, I think it's a huge win. But if not, then you just move on. This was the risk LSU knew when you took him, that you could run into this. It's happened since high school. It happened in his one year of college. And unless you're getting an immediate immaculate turnaround, it was going to happen here. And it's about how do they handle it and move forward. Let's see if Denver gets the message. I love Ashton Stamps. I think he's going to have to play a lot. But as you said, that's a tall task to ask of any freshman. It's why they brought in all of these transfers. We've said, I have said repeatedly from the start, and you can jump on board here, you thought it agreed. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but cornerback was going to be a major question mark for me, just like it was a year ago. And it wasn't until we got in the season and kind of through it that we realized Makai Garner is more than serviceable. Bernard Converse is more than serviceable. These guys are really helping LSU win games. They were also having to get creative and put Jay Ward at corner at times and move guys around just to be able to have cornerbacks out there they trust. Now, you mentioned two guys in two transfers uh, out of Syracuse and Chestnut and then out of Southeastern in Hammond and Zy Alexander, those guys have been first team the entire fall. So we presume that those two are your guys. You said it on one of the podcasts earlier. Do you, and do you think the plan remains this, that they just play those guys all the time? And if they ever have to have a breather, that's when Welsh and Stamps get in, but that there won't be some rotation that I think a lot of people presumed of, oh, man, they're going to have four or five guys. They've got this luxury yeah. of kind of playing a lot of them to see who's the best as the season goes on. Right now you're down Denver Harris. You're going to be without J.K. Johnson because of injury. Does that stop that plan at corner? I, I do think it, it limits it, especially because they started the season with Florida State. That's what makes fall camp so interesting is that there is very much a light at the end of the tunnel, and we have to see – how how all of this builds up because there is very much a finish line here there is you have to be ready by week one or else you will lose that game and the cornerback position in particular is pivotal because florida state has one of the best receiver rooms in the country if not the best if not yeah if not the best keon coleman like you go on johnny wilson all these guys very 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 talented and a good quarterback uh to boot so with the finish line being there the fact that we are two weeks away, two and a half weeks away, and Denver Harris is still a huge question mark. Um, J.K. Johnson's injured. Like Ashton Stamps and Latarence Walsh, I think are fine, but they're very much not first team guys to me. It has to be Deuce Chestnut and Zion Alexander, week one, no matter what. Like those guys cannot come off the field. And to be frank, 
when you watch football, how often do corners really come off like elite corners? How often do they really come off the field at the NFL or even the college level? Like those guys should be on the field the majority of the snaps. And if they're playing zone as much as what they've practiced, I mean, as far as what we've seen is they practice a ton of zone that should at least ensure you some sort of um, some sort of safety net to a degree to where you're not on an island with Johnny Wilson. You're not on an island with Keon Coleman. Like you're not, you have some support there in the set and the safety room is the biggest saving grace because what we've seen from the safeties this, this fall has been really, really impressive. So you have good continuity there. You have good experience there that should that paired with, I think a guy like Omar Spates who can very much play zone and cover very well. Um, I think all of that combined there's no reason why Chestnut and, and Alexander can't step up to that task. I just look at this as being, wow, this is going about as bad as it can go for the sec for the cornerback room. And you have Florida state week one in Orlando. This is, it, it's a fascinating storyline to follow. We'll touch on the safety spot and the nickel spot here uh, in a little bit, but yes, cornerback, the one room that we really had question marks about now we're halfway through camp and, it's almost as if you feel good about now half of the group and the other half of the group is starting to be not available for you. Uh, and it leaves you in a very sticky spot. A lot of people that have asked this, people love offense. People love scoring points. I get it. It makes the game fun to watch. Uh, but their biggest question for this team is, well, how is this year's offense going to look different? And not that it looked bad a year ago, but people are wondering, okay, well, what are they elevating? How are they changing? You know, what comes with year two of the Mike Denbrock offense? So I'll pose the question to you and then I'll share my thoughts on the tail end of it. But you've watched every practice, but you've also now listened to Mike Denbrock. You've listened to who's the offensive coordinator. You've listened to Brian Kelly a number of times, and we've heard from a number of players on offense. When you think about that question, what do you look to first when you can say, okay, these few things will be different than a year ago? The first thing before we even get to quarterbacks, I think the first thing is we know what LSU has on the offensive line. That is the biggest point because not only did LSU not know what they had on the offensive line going into the season last year, didn't I believe they changed the starting lineup five out of the first six games? Yeah, I think it was five of the first six games. They had a different starter in each game. Yeah, some something like that to where – it was a whole half season where the offensive line was a huge question mark. And I'm not saying that, it, you know, maybe somebody uh, shuffles things around in the offensive line very much. That could happen. Like we've talked about Zalen Turd quite a bit. Maybe there's a small injury or something where a guy misses a game. Um, so that could still happen. But that is such a big uh, factor in Jaden Daniels having trust and not looking to run immediately against Florida state. Like when we, what we saw last year, um, the run game, I think will obviously have a little bit more of an initial punch to it than it did last year with the running backs. So that's where I start. Um, obviously, you know, Mason Taylor is great. Malik neighbors is great. I think the receiver room is going to be really good. Uh, but then that's when you get to Jaden Daniels and the difference in him as a player, from last year to this year. And I I said in I've mentioned in a few practice reports that he's taken plenty of checkdowns throughout fall camp. And you know, I've talked to other writers on the beat and everything like that. And they're all like, you know, he's still he's still taking the checkdowns. He's still not um being Garrett Nussmeyer out there. But my point is he doesn't have to be Garrett Nussmeyer. That's not what I want from Jaden Daniels. I want Jaden Daniels to be 
an efficient passer and maintain that, you know, 65, 66 plus percent completion percentage. But when, when he can take those shots to Malik neighbors and Brian Thomas, he has to be willing to throw them. That's the biggest thing. And talking to Chris Hilton, he made it sound like Mike Denbrock's not even really giving him an option. He's going to draw up more shot plays this year. And that was something that stood out to me. So Jaden Daniels continues needs to continue to be efficient, be you know on time, on target, all that stuff to move the change. But whether it's him or it's Mike Denbrock, there will be more vertical plays. And that's not even a question to me at this point. It's just a matter of how it's drawn up. Like, is it Mike Denbrock calling the shot plays or is it Jaden Daniels freely being more uh, more vertical? But we have seen him be more aggressive down the field um, this fall. I want to make sure people understand that because he can do both. You know, you throw the ball 30 times in a game, you can, you know, check down 20 times and go intermediate five and deep five. Like, that. that's perfectly fine. They just – he has to be able to pull the trigger, and I think he's finally going to be able to do that this year. I think one thing that jumps to me is efficient, increased efficiency through continuity. And I look at the offense, and yeah. not only is everyone on that team more adjusted to knowing what Brian Kelly wants as a head coach, how they have to go through each day, how they'll go through a game week, how they practice, what the expectations are, but the offensive coordinator is the same. Your quarterback, starting quarterback and backup are the same. You return five offensive linemen, including the center. Uh, you know, so your center and quarterback have a good rapport. The receivers are all back, minus Butte and Dre Jenkins, and that's a lot of guys have started and played. And you have a handful of a lot of running backs back. Yeah. And every position coach, whether it's running back, O line, wide receiver, tight end, obviously with Denbrock, is all the same. Quarterbacks coach Joe Sloan, all the same. So everybody is now on the same page of kind of what the expectations are, how we, you know, what our offense is going to be, what my role is going to be. And then they've sprinkled in the Aaron Anderson to the receiver room. They sprinkled in a Logan Diggs at running back. You sprinkled in now some freshmen at tight end and a yep. Juco guy in Gilbreth who allow Mason Taylor maybe to do a little bit more and you to do a little bit more offensively with two tight end sets, which is the, what Mike Denbrock wants to do. So, I just point to, and I don't know how big you factor that in, but that continuity, the ability for everything to remain the same and allow you to build off that as huge because they didn't have any of that last year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Aaron Anderson and you know the tight ends because I, I do think when looking at the differences in last year's offense to this year's offense, having more than one tight end that can play and be a threat – um, as a receiver and and blocker, you know, with Mark Wayne Gilbreth. Um, and then Aaron Anderson, who I maintain. <laughs> we watched at practice today him uh, when they were working on some red zone stuff. He caught a uh, quick uh, screen pass and took it basically to the end zone. I mean, that's the type of stuff they didn't really have last year. As much as I liked, you know, I, I love Malik Neighbors and guys like that. Like Aaron Anderson at 5'9", 5'10", is an f- absolute firecracker um, when he catches the when he gets the ball. And he's going to be their saving grace on uh, as a part returner too. Yeah. One of the biggest question marks from a year ago. So some thoughts there on offense from both of us. Uh, you will be gearing up uh, this year, obviously, to catch LSU games, maybe some other sporting events. Whatever it is, game time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. We've talked about them before. If you don't have the game time app yet, get in the app store. It's available across all platforms, uh, no matter which kind of cell phone you got. 
Get the Game Time app, G-A-M-E-T-I-M-E. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. That's football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy shows, theater shows, whatever you can think of. It's on there. You'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the differences. You can look up seat images of kind of where you're at and what to expect so you don't get there and there's a poll in front of you. You can buy tickets in less than a minute. It's a matter of seconds. Only two taps. That's what they're famous for. And the tickets come right to your phone. So you don't have to go digging back through email the day of the event to find out if it's on mobile or do I need to print it. It will be right there. We've hooked up with Game Time promo code. We've got one. Tigers. You know how to spell it. T-I-G-E-R-S. That's going to get 20 bucks off. So get on, create an account, redeem the code Tigers. You'll get 20 bucks off that first purchase on the Game Time app. Download it today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, and as they say, guaranteed every time. Maddie B, we're moving on. We uh, we'll do a little position debate, um, and I wanted to start with. I'll ask you how you feel now versus how you felt at the start of camp, and you can feel better or worse. I don't know. These might all okay. feel better for you. Okay, go ahead. But let's go with center because we went through. We went into the off season after the bowl game saying there's going to be a very healthy competition at center. Charles Turner had had the job, but Marlon Martinez was there. Charles Turner was out all spring. Charles Turner comes back in fall. He's back as the starter. What's your read on the spot, and do you feel better right now than you did when we started fall camp at the beginning of August? Yeah, uh, Charles Turner has been one of the biggest surprises now that I look at the past two weeks in totality. I'm not saying he's been perfect. He hasn't won every single rep, but I've seen him hold up against Jacoby and Guillory. I've seen him hold up against Makai Wingo at times. So, and then hearing other players talk about him and how much stronger he's got. I think it was Jacoby and Guillory who talked about how, um, how much he's, how different he is from last year. And Charles Turner won the most improved player last year on, on the team for a reason. So, I I must admit I was very skeptical about him holding on to the job without going through spring and then obviously um, working over summer and then coming in uh, with Marlon Martinez right there, but partially because he's gotten better, but, and then also partially maybe because Marlon Martinez hasn't quite taken that step forward. You know, Brian Kelly talked about him, not it being tough for him to maintain the weight that he needed to weigh. Um, So for whatever reason, then Mason Lunsford has been a guard. DJ Chester is a freshman at the end of the day, Charles Turner, continues to hold down the starting center job two weeks out from the game. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And for that reason, I feel better about the center spot now than I did two weeks ago, like pretty comfortably. I, I, I like Charles Turner a lot. He's, he's really smart. Snaps are always on point. Um, I have no problems with Charles Turner now. It was no one's ever doubted Charles Turner, the athleticism side. In fact, that's what made, that was kind of a, the bonus of him. He yeah. came in and he was, 240, 235, 240, and Coach O started him at tight end, even though he had played O-line at IMG. But even when he got all the starts last year, people said, well, is he tough enough, you know, strong enough to handle interior guys in the SEC? If he's getting wins against Jacoby and Guillory, it's not going to get a lot tougher than that. Jacoby and Guillory, they call him Tank for a reason. He was a national powerlifting champ in the heavyweight division in high school. Like, he is – one of the true nose tackles out there that can move people. 
And if you're getting wins against him, you're pretty good. Now you're going to face the Wingos and some guys who have some moves that can maybe get by you. But very good news there uh, that you feel like you're a little bit higher on Turner than when things started. Let's keep it on offense, tight end. And this was a spot where you knew what one guy on the team, Mason Taylor, could do in college because the other four guys that are in fall camp were all either in high school or in JUCO last year. So do you feel better simply because you have now five guys and not one? Or are you feeling better because you've seen things that make you believe those guys will contribute? Yeah, I was very skeptical of the freshmen being able to really contribute this year at, at a high level. I, as much as I liked, you know, Jackson McGowan out of high school, I thought he, and I still do think he has some work to do. I, I questioned if Kamoyan Pimpton was able to going to be able to just uh, go up and dunk on people like he did in high school, but he's done that several times in fall camp. And then Mark, Mac Markway, obviously, he hasn't played the last two years, so we really didn't know what we were getting from him. Uh, then you throw in Connor Gilbreth, who is basically an extra tackle on the field. So I had a lot of question marks. I feel I think I mentioned this earlier. I feel a lot better about the tight end position now because I do think there are situations where Mac Markway makes sense, Pimpton makes sense, McGohan makes sense, and Gilbert makes sense. And if they can piece it together, it's not going to be you know a one-two punch the whole time. It will be a one punch, and then you sprinkle in the rest there, and that's what Denbrock's job is to figure out who goes best with what situation. And from a versatility standpoint, I feel a lot better about this tight end room. So, um, yeah, that's I, I feel good. I don't want to sleep on Mason Taylor at all because he had such phenomenal years as a true freshman. And he could be a second-team All-SEC guy. I mean, that would be the, the ceiling given Brock Bowers is out there and there's some really yeah. talented tight ends. But I still think Camorian Pimpton is going to come up with a few plays this year that really people put people on alert for how good he is as a prospect, which he's done in camp, as you said. Yeah, he's he just keeps making plays. Um, I'm trying to think how many touchdowns Pimpton will get this year. And I think we I, talked about this earlier. I think we said an over under like two and a half, three. Yeah, I was going to say two and a half or three and a half, something like that. I, I was going to say three or four. I think he goes over two and a half. I think there's going to be those you know, the, the games, the non-conference games outside of Florida state, I think he can get, I think he can get three and, you know, two or three in those games when LSU's putting up 60. So um, I'll go over two and a half. If it's three and a half, I don't know. I, I, I Malik would, neighbors didn't get over three and a half last year. He went for a thousand yards. If, if Malik neighbors doesn't get over, I think Vegas has the total like seven and a half or eight and a half touchdowns. I think Malik neighbors could very well end the year with 10 touchdowns. And I'm completely drinking the Kool-Aid of watching him in fall camp put up like four touchdowns a day. I don't well, care. Dude is doing everything. I want to say that it's very easy for us to gloss over guys. Okay, you know what Malik Neighbors is. He was a thousand-yard receiver last year. He's a breakout guy. He's going to get mocked in the first round. And then we don't sit there and tell you that every day at camp, nobody can touch him. I've like never he's, seen anything like he's on he's he's on fire right now. I've never seen anything like it, dude. He's just so, it's literally yeah. become like with the with the media where it's like we just start counting them off. You know, it's like, all right, there's one, there's two, there's three. And we didn't even watch the whole practice today. We watched like 30, 30 minutes and he had three, I think. Uh, yeah, he's incredible. I uh, OK, promise you guys we'll flip the defense. I told you we talk a little safety, little nickel. We got the corner discussion out of the way. So give me the safety room. And when I, I'm lumping the nickels with them because. 
all of the nickels yeah. are guys who also play safety. So start of camp, how you felt versus now? The start of camp, we were high on obviously Major Burns and Greg Brooks. I wasn't sure going into camp if Sage Ryan would lock that nickel spot down um, because we, we thought maybe Deuce Chestnut would slide over there. Obviously, they need him at corner now more than more than nickel. Uh, we were like, is Jordan Allen stepping up? Can can somebody, can JV and Toviano maybe push him for that job? It, it turns out that it's actually Andre Sam, but not because Andre Sam is pushing him for the starting nickel job, but because Andre Sam is so good, they want to get him on the field and play him alongside Major Burns, and that pushes Greg Brooks down to nickel sometimes. So if we're looking at the nickel-slash-safety room as Sage Ryan, Greg Brooks, Major Burns, and Andre Sam, and Jordan Allen-slash-Javian Toviano as well, I do feel better, and it's mostly because of the versatility that they're able to have. I, I didn't know they were going to be able to be this um, diverse in, in the secondary. So that's that's a big plus for them because similar to what I said about the tight ends, right? It's like you can pair different lineups with different personnel from the offense, with different situations, with different yard lines. Like that's just, and once you get comfortable with that, I really, really think the set, the safety slash nickel position can be a good strength for this team. We have plenty of questions about the corners, but uh, safety slash nickel, I think is a, is a nice room for them. I agree with you. I'm a, I'm a Sage Ryan fan, so I'm not. I don't need to get into that debate. I just want to see it this year, obviously, and he'll get extended reps playing that nickel spot. And I like that. If it's not him, it's a veteran like Greg Brooks that's going to slide down and play that spot. So I'm good there. I just kept saying they could not afford to get Major Burns or Greg Brooks hurt, and I still think that remains the case. But I was overlooking the impact that Andre Sam was going to make. And at this point, how the staff is talking. They trust him just as much as they trust Major Burns and Greg Brooks. And he's older than both those guys. This is his seventh year of college football. He's made three different school stops. So I, I, by default, have to feel better about it because I didn't see it coming that, oh, I just thought it would have to be a Toviana or a Jordan Allen or Langwa would have to be healthy. Like it was going to be someone who wasn't proven. And them adding Sam out of the portal so late turns to be a pretty good decision. And like you said, Langlaw hasn't been healthy in camp. Kylan Jackson hasn't been healthy in camp. Those are two guys who we thought would maybe contribute. Um, Toviano, I was asked, you know, is it disappointing at all that Toviano hasn't really been like, like when people talked about breakout players for the fall, like potential breakout players, it was JV and Toviano was the top guy. And now it's Ashton Stamps. And my, my response to that was a lot of being able to break out is opportunity. And as much as I think, like, I think JV and Toviano is a better player than Ashton Stamps. Ashton Stamps has the opportunity because they need him at corner right now. And yes, he beat out, you know, I don't want to say beat out Jeremiah Hughes because they're both freshmen. So kind of figuring out, but like he has taken that opportunity and excelled with it. JV and Toviano, if Andre Sam wasn't on this team, I think JV and Toviano would be looking at a massive role. Uh, at safety and nickel this year so it's all about just opportunity and uh, that's why i'm really uh i want to make sure people understand like javian toviano is going to be fine it's just a, a different position different need and i also want to shout out ryan robinson at nickel back up um walk on from school i'm not remembering big school though uh ryan robinson went to car 
I don't know. Yeah, some some. Let's it was. Uh, some, I'm probably just gonna miss. Yeah, he went to Car. Okay, Car. Um, uh, but he turned down D1 scholarships because he yes. didn't come to LSU. Yes. So, um. Anyways, yeah. Shout, shout out to him as well. He's been getting a lot of run with the second team at Nickel, um, as well. Let's uh, let's wrap up the then versus now fall camp debate with this one. D tackle and we've talked about this a lot on the pod. Um, Matt House, the defensive coordinator at LSU, is very multiple. So he's going to. There's a number of guys you can kind of when you think of a DT. There's a number of guys you can put on this team into that spot. But they also have nose tackles. They have some bigger DNs. They have then your more natural kind of edge rush DNs like Savion and them. When you think DT, first give me the guys you're talking about and then how you feel about it now after seeing them for three weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm that list to me is Mikhail Wingo, Mason Smith, Jacoby and Guillory, Jordan Jefferson. I still include Paris Shand, even though he's a really versatile piece uh, of this equation, but I still have Paris Shand there. Um, Ty G. Hill, Bryce Langston, Jalen Lee, Fitzgerald West. That's kind of the group there. So when looking at it and when, you know, when I, when I wrote out this, this podcast plan, I was like, I think most of these groups have gotten better, but to me, the biggest thing is I needed to see Jalen, Jalen Lee. I needed to see Jordan Jefferson. I needed to see, I'll tell you a guy that I was kind of skeptical on going into this season was Jacoby and Guillory. And I know that sounds crazy because everybody's like, wow, how could you be low on Jacoby and Guillory? Last year, Mikhail Wingo and uh, Quellen Roy played a billion snaps, and I look at that as an indictment on the depth. And as an indictment on the depth, and Jacoby and Guillory was right there. That, and I'm, I'm not saying he didn't play; he played. But I'm just like, you know, why did they not turn to him more last year? That was a big question I had. I think he's taken accountability, and I think he's been a lot better this fall than what he was built last year. So I feel a lot better about the depth of this unit. I will say Mason Smith, um, you know, going in and out of the past week of practices with, you know, the knees, ankles, whatever it is, um, does not make me feel great. Bubble wrap, bubble wrap that man. Yeah, bubble wrap him up uh, because they just just get him to the Florida State game and uh, get him healthy because you have two and a half weeks. Like I said, uh, you start off with FSU. You can't just, you know, you can't uh, try to you can't have Mason Smith injured is what I'm trying to say here for that game. So overall, I feel better. Depth, I feel better. Get Mason Smith healthy, and I feel great. Well, okay, so we know Mason and Makai are starters, and you can kind of put Jacobian in there because he's got a lot of first-team reps when they show those nose tackle looks. Give me one name that you're most impressed with after that. And those three guys are all returning guys, so it sounds like you might have to pick a transfer. Yeah, I'm going to pick it. Well, I'm between – I'm between – I think – Parishan has shown really good flashes. I'm trying to figure out exactly how he fits in because he can be really versatile. When well, Brian um, Kelly kind of noted that Shand has looked good at D end at times, which yeah. would be playing behind Savion Jones, which would make it the most crowded D end room in America. <laughs> I, I, I think he gets a lot of reps at both. Um, it depends on the situation in a lot of ways. Uh, I can see him playing either spot. That was kind of my question with him actually coming in was like, he at, at Arizona, he did play kind of defensive end, and I didn't really see that translating too much. And so DT makes more sense. But um, I'll say Fitzgerald West. I'll give Fitzgerald West a shout out over here. I, I don't think he's like, I think the top four defensive tackles are set Smith, Wingo, Guillory, Jefferson. I think those are the top four players. After that, you get to the Lees and the, the, the Shans and so on. 
Fitzgerald West is so unique because he is the most slippery of any of these guys as far as he's able to get between gaps really well, able to get off blocks, I think, really well. Um, obviously, for me, I have a question of I, I don't know if he needs to get bigger per se, but he kind of just needs to be a little bit more impactful, I guess, um, overall. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy I think that can shoot a lot of gaps and can just kind of disrupt things. So I, I feel good about Fitzgerald West, if not for this year. Um, obviously, he's only a sophomore, but if not for this year. Uh, moving forward next year, I, I would I would like to put him pretty high. Wrapping up the Bengal Tiger podcast here on – so we get through the final week of fall camp uh, before they turn to regular practices and then the season – and we'll uh, kind of keep the debate going, um, but more so um, give you some thoughts on three positions. Matty B circled here, and he calls it pol- positions you want to believe in. And let's stay on the D line. You have DN listed first, and you is it explain this to the listener? Is it you want to believe in it and you do, or you want to believe in it but you're just not so sure? Um, and when I say DN, I mean DN and Jack. Um. There are just – I want to believe in Savion Jones and Braden Swenson and Ovia Gofu, and I think that they've showed flashes – and Quincy Wiggins. Throw Quincy Wiggins in there and Deshaun Womack. Throw all of them in the, in this group here. Um, they've all shown flashes. My question is, when we get to SEC play, obviously when we get to week one, we'll know a lot. But then when you get to SEC play and it's a rigorous every single week being asked to play against different uh, offensive lines and quarterbacks – can they be routinely, I don't want to say elite, but can they be a high-end defensive, a pass rush, high-end pass rush? Because if they are able to get to the quarterback with Savion Jones and Brandon Swinston and Ovia Gofu and those guys, that would make life a lot easier on the secondary for one, but then a guy like Harold Perkins where we still don't 100% know how they're going to use him. And if you can get pressure without him, that changes everything about what this defense can be. Like, talk about keeping offenses off balance. Harold Perkins is going to be, could be playing any of the 11 positions at that point if you can get pressure with Savion Jones and, and Ovia Gofu as your edge guys. Like, that's a different game. So, when I say I, I want to believe in them, I, I've seen talent. They have talent, clearly, but can they be elite can they be borderline elite because that would take this defense to another level to me so that's kind of where my discrepancy is with that group i'm with you i mean i think you summed it up perfectly there i will add that i'm very i'm a big believer in savion jones and i think he's also developed enough to where he can stop you you can trust him to also be in whether it's holding up against the run or rushing the passer like i think he's making that next step as it now being a junior I believe in him. I want to see it from the rest. Not that I don't think that they're very good players. Yeah. I just have not seen it yet. I'm trying to see, and, and and it will be interesting to see how they use Deshaun Womack because as much as it's been like them trying to figure it out for the first two weeks of fall camp, I still think you have to get him on the field at some point and in some capacity. So that's, I, I don't know how they're going to do that. Uh, two more here. I know that we've talked, we talked a good amount about this to open up the podcast, but corner is a, a spot you listed here. Thoughts, kind of some final thoughts there. Do I was asked about this on the board, and I've been living in the the threads of uh, my my daily practice reports. So I appreciate to everybody who's um, sensing questions there, and I've replied to all of them. People asked me about Deuce Chestnut and Zion Alexander. 
and I, I want to be clear, I think they're both very good players. My question with them is holding up physically on a consistent basis because Denver Harris and J.K. Johnson, we saw that last year. We saw Denver Harris in you know against SEC competition hold up. We saw J.K. Johnson against Big Ten competition hold up physically. They weren't perfect. Uh, J.K. Johnson, you know, had his flaws, sure, but Deuce Chestnut is not a big guy um, or the fastest guy. Zy Alexander comes from FCS. He the big thing for him was putting on a little bit more muscle over when he came over here. So we're looking at two guys that are really smart, think the game well, see the game well, all that stuff. But week one, you're going up against Keon Coleman and Wilson. Like that's that's gonna be a tall task. Um, and we're gonna have to see. Again, this is goes back to I want to believe in them because they're good football players, but ultimately you have to have a level of athleticism and physicality that translates, I think, on a week in, week out basis. So that's my biggest question for them. And that's why I'm kind of like hesitant to really fully buy in on those two being as good as I mean Makai Garner. You look talk about physical. Makai Garner and I think Jerk Bernard Converse were really uh, capable physically and that's what helped them hold up for a whole season so um that's going to be an interesting thing that i'm watching for with the corners specifically i know that's very like nitpicky i guess but phew, man they start in the year with florida state is just a lot brian kelly said it best at sec media days i don't know how good our corners are but i'll find out week one when we play florida state and they are the arguably maybe the best receiver core in the country It'll be fun times. Uh, okay, last one here, Matty B, and it's the one where uh, they have it's running back, and they have so many people in this room, you could feel the starting eleven with them. Uh, there's eight of them, so how can you not feel good about eight of them? What's going on here? What? It, where do you stand? You um, well, first of all, it hasn't helped that three or four of them have been on the sideline for a lot of uh, the past week of camp. Logan Diggs been in and out. Josh Williams been in and out. So the top two guys, in my opinion, were have been sidelined the past week. Um, I'm They'll be okay, but still it hasn't been great. I, I don't know what to make because not only have we not seen them, but at the same time, what we have seen from the run game in general has not been super uh potent i guess from an 11 on 11 perspective and 11 on 11 in fall camp is very much you know walking on walking on eggshells because you don't want to hurt people but still the, the run game didn't really pop to me in any of the 11 on 11 segments that i've watched so whether that has been john emory noah kane you know trey bradford's gotten reps caleb jackson has been good and then fumbled so it's just still too many questions like if we talk about the opposite of what we talked about early on where positions I feel better about I don't feel worse about the running back room but I feel the same as what I did coming into fall camp where I have no idea what this is going to look like like just none whatsoever and so that's um a real question mark here but I don't think I don't think the running back position is going to determine how good this team is because I don't think the running back position is going to be bad I just don't know how good it's going to be the other thing becomes that one, you will be passing it, but obviously you want a great balance with the run. You have a quarterback who is the best dual threat quarterback in the country and is going to run it more than any running back on the team runs it production-wise. Yes. So, yes, you're very deep, but you don't have to rely on them as much because your quarterback is going to do a lot of that heavy lifting. I think I go back to what they did a year ago where this is just going to be split between 
the two or three guys who are either healthy, most healthy or most productive. And I don't think it's going to go eight deep. I don't think they ride one guy. I think it will be three, maybe four guys who we see getting the bulk of the carries and it becomes pretty split unless we see someone just run away with it. Yeah, I think four is I, – I think Josh Williams, Logan Diggs, and John Emery and Noah Kane will get a good amount of snaps. I think they all have their own roles, their own strengths. I think those four get the snaps. Um, I just – I haven't seen a ton of Armani Goodwin. Talk about another guy that's been out. He's – I almost say out, but he's been limited. He's been on the bike, so on and so forth. I mean, Armani Goodwin is good when he's on the field. He just hasn't been on the field enough over the past, you know, year and some change. So – uh that's the interesting thing. I do also want to, uh, as we're wrapping up, shout outs to uh, Shelton Sampson. He continues to be really, really impressive. Shout out to Whit Weeks, really impressive. And uh, those are probably the only two. I mean, shout out DJ Chester, also being very impressive. So those are some guys we don't talk about a lot on the board or on here. And uh, yeah, I, I think those guys deserve, deserve some uh, recognition as well before we close out. Anything else? We're good? That for me. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, this has been a nice 40-minute rundown. We On Saturday, we will be out at practice um, for their scrimmage. I think we're going to be able to view the whole thing. I was looking over at my, my board. I think we'll be able to view the whole thing, so um, I'll probably bring an umbrella out there and sit on the seats and take notes. But, um, yeah, we'll have a practice report up after that as well, probably get a podcast up over the weekend. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, check out the recruiting pods Billy and Shay do. They do an awesome job with those. Um, leave us a like, comment, share, subscribe. Check us out on the, the Bengal Tiger on three. If you're not a subscriber, become a subscriber. Plenty of content coming in over there every single day, and we interact with everybody on our board. So thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you all later. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 